Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Joy Gruitz. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Today I want to share with you a message that I pray will encourage your faith, but will also challenge you to take those next steps in living your faith. You know, the older I get, the easier it becomes for me to reflect back on my journey of faith, that plan that God has had for my life. And it's easy to see how God has taken me to some challenging places, to some unexpected places, even uncomfortable places. But it is there in those places that God has taught me valuable lessons that have encouraged my faith and ended up being a blessing in my life. And one of those places in particular is when I found myself on the way to prison. And it wasn't because I had committed a crime. It was because I had said yes. You see, a good friend of mine was involved in prison ministry. And one day after church, he came up to me and he said, Joy, are you available on this date in August? And I said, no, I don't have anything planned that date. He says, well, good because we are having an outreach ministry to a prison in Macomb, and we're having a guest evangelist come, and after she speaks, we need people like you who are going to pray with these inmates one-on-one. Well, I had already said that I was available that date. (laughs) I kind of felt trapped, um, but I said yes. But I can tell you honestly, in that moment that I said yes and was smiling on the outside, Inside, I was wishing that I had some legitimate reason to say no. I really wanted an excuse. But here I was, in a car, on my way to prison, and I can remember gazing out the window as I could see the security fences coming into view with the razor wire and the guard towers and these stark rectangular buildings, and I'm saying to myself, how did I get myself into this? You see, I was never one that was drawn to prison ministry. This was something that was never on my heart to do. It was something that I would be glad that other people were called to do. It just wasn't in my heart. Yet here I was, driving through the entranceway to this prison in Macomb. Well, we entered the admissions building, and we waited our turn for the security check-in process. You had your name would be called and you'd go into this glass cubicle and the doors would open and you would step in and those doors would close and there you were with two security officers and they literally did a physical pat down and then you walked through a metal detector and if you passed all of that, you had no contraband, then they gave you a PPD, a personal protection device. It looks like an old-fashioned garage door opener, but it had a string attached. And they told us that you would take this PPD, and if at any time you felt threatened when you were interacting with these inmates, you just pull that string. Now, I know that they gave us this PPD to make us feel comfortable and secure and safe. All I could think of was that 
they gave me this PPD because I must, might really need it in this prison. And so I, I clipped it to my waist and I made sure that little string was right where I could grab it. Well, we entered the courtyard and there were some bleachers erected and we watched as the inmates filed in. And as this guest evangelist began to share her testimony of God's grace and deliverance, one, a testimony they could really relate to, I scanned the faces of those inmates. I scanned the bleachers and looked at the faces of these men and also I could think of they have lived lives so different from my own. And as she began to wrap up her testimony, my anxiety began to grow a little bit because I knew in just a few minutes I would have to interact with these inmates one-on-one. -on -one. And so I found myself just making sure that that string was, was right where it needed to be. But you know, something happened as those inmates came forward for prayer. As I prayed with them, all thoughts of that PPT disappeared. And I was filled with genuine compassion for the needs of these men, and I saw their hunger for the Lord. Yet of all the inmates I spoke to that day, there was one inmate that I remember so distinctly. I asked him, as I had the other inmates, what is it you'd like me to pray for? And he said to me, I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus, but I'm struggling. He says, I don't know how to live what I believe. You see, his struggle wasn't being a believer or having faith. It wasn't believing in Jesus. It was about the following Jesus. It was about knowing how to be that devoted follower of Christ. And because he wasn't following, he wasn't being changed. And he was saying, I just keep up ending back in this place again and again. How do I live my faith? I saw the defeat in his face but I recognized in his heart a genuine desire to be changed. And a genuine compassion in my heart arose for this man. Later that day, we debriefed with our team, and I discovered that our experience or my experience was, there, was shared with all the rest of the team. We were all moved with compassion by our time with these inmates. And then God put this burden in my heart. These men needed to be taught. They needed a, a foundation of truth for their faith so they could learn how to be followers. And then this compelling thought hit me, and these words tumbled out of my mouth. These men need an understanding God class. Now, it is no coincidence, as Tyler mentioned, that for years I have been teaching this Understanding God class, this Bible foundation class, taught it to young adults, to adults. I even have taught it to pastors and church leaders so they could have this course in their church. But I'll be honest with you, that even though I knew that this was a next step that these inmates needed, as quickly as those words tumbled out of my mouth, there was a part of me that wanted to suck them back in. There was a part of me that knew that by saying them, I was going to have to do something. That I couldn't just feel compassion for these inmates. That I had to put that compassion into action, even when God was going to require me to go to a place that was so foreign to me and was so uncomfortable. Well, God performed a miracle 
by opening a door for us to teach understanding God at that prison. He gave us favor with the, the chaplain there. And for two years, my husband and I, my sisters, my two sisters and their husbands, I volunteered them. And um, they became part of the team. And we taught this class at the Macomb Correctional Facility to the inmates there for two years. Through that experience, God taught me a powerful lesson, that as Christians, we need to feel compassion, but we also need to put our compassion into action, not to be stopped by a jaded outlook or by stereotypes, that when God shows us a need and puts that compassion in our heart, we need to put that compassion into action and be moved to mercy. You know, that's a lesson, a powerful lesson that Jesus taught by example. We can read in the New Testament where Jesus and his disciples were in the city of Capernaum and they were on their way to the city of Nain. And as they got close to the city of Nain, there is a cemetery just outside the city gates. And as they were about to enter the city, they had to pass the cemetery. And just as they were doing that, out of the city came a funeral procession. And Jesus recognized that a person who was central, a central figure to the grievers, was this elderly woman. And he perceived that she was a widow and that she was grieving for her son that she had just lost. And this is where Jesus got involved. If you look in your Bibles in Luke 7, verse 13, it says, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. I love some of the other translations where it says, his heart overflowed with compassion. His heart went out to her. In other words, we are seeing that Jesus had genuine compassion for this grieving widow. But Jesus didn't just stop with compassion. He didn't just extend heartfelt words of compassion. His compassion moved him to do something, to do something unexpected that even astounded his Jewish companions. In Luke 7, verse 14 and 15, it says, Then then he came, and he touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And so he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he, Jesus, presented him, the son, to his mother. Jesus saw the need. He felt compassion, and his compassion moved him to the act of mercy by restoring life to the son and restoring hope to this widow. Jesus demonstrated this truth by the way he lived his life, but he also taught it in his sermons. And one particular sermon held the parable of the Good Samaritan, a a parable that we are all so familiar with. And the centerpiece of this parable is a Jewish man who is on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. So in Luke 10, verse 30, we read this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. It is interesting when you go back and you look at the scene that Jesus set for this parable, it's in a place, a road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it looks something like this. It's very barren. It's very rugged. 
And Jesus uses the phrase that this man would be going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the reason he said that is that Jerusalem is at an elevation of 2,400 feet above sea level, whereas Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. And with the cities only being about 18 miles apart, a traveler on this road would have to descend about a half mile in elevation. So not only is it rocky and barren, but it's a steep trek from Jerusalem to Jericho. And so here is this man on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho when he falls into the hands of robbers. And then the scripture goes on to say, then they stripped him of his clothes They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. So a man is attacked, he's beaten, stripped of his clothes, and left almost to the point of death. And it's at this point in this parable that I'm going to ask you to give me some latitude to look at this parable not so much as a story that Jesus is telling, but what I'd like us to do is to imagine that Jesus is retelling an actual event that occurred that what we're reading is something that actually happened. Because what I'd like us to do is to put ourselves into the place of the man who has been beaten, robbed, and left to the point of death. We're going to imagine that he still has some consciousness left. And so we can imagine that it was most probable at this point that as a man beaten and wounded, that he would be calling out to God for help that he would say, Lord, I need your intervention. I can't get up. I can't even crawl to Jericho. If you don't send someone, Lord, I'm going to die here by the side of the road. And then suddenly he hears footsteps. I can imagine him just lifting his head with whatever strength he had left, maybe looking through that swollen eye, and he could see the hem of a robe of a man coming toward him. And his heart begins to beat with some hope because he recognizes who this man is. It is a priest. And a priest is a holy man. If anyone's going to have compassion on him, it would be what? A holy man. You see, a priest is one who ministers in the temple of Jerusalem. He would be like a pastor is in our church. He is the one that leads the worship. Surely this man will have compassion. But look at verse 31. When he, the priest, saw the man, he passed on the other side. Did he see the man? Yes. But he makes a choice to what? Walk on the other side to just keep going. No sooner had the priest passed than the man hears footsteps again. Again, he lifts his head and he looks and he sees the hem of the man's robe. And he recognized this isn't a priest, but it's a Levite, still a holy man, not at the top echelon, but he is a holy man. Surely he will have compassion on me. You see, a a Levite would be one who assists a priest in the temple, much like those we have on staff that assist our pastor. But he too, look at verse 32. And so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, what did he do? He passed on the other side. What despair this man would have been feeling when his two best hopes for help had just walked by. They saw him, but they were not moved with compassion to help him. By now, the man would be giving up any hope of rescue. 
Who would help him now? Then once again he hears footsteps. And he looks up once again and he sees the hem of the robes of a man coming toward him. But when he sees this man, his hope is now gone. Instead of being hopeful, he is now crestfallen because this is not a priest. It's not another Levite. It isn't even another fellow Jew. It is a Samaritan. And Jews and Samaritans don't help one another. There is a cultural divide between Jews and Samaritans. They despise one another. And certainly this man is not going to help me. But to the man's amazement, this is what happens. Look at verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, what does it say? He had compassion. He had compassion. He saw him and had compassion. But then look at the next verse. So he what? Went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. He set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii. He gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. He saw the wounded man, he had compassion, and his compassion moved him to action. Look what he did. He bound his wounds, he put him on his own animal, he takes him to the inn, he takes care of him through the night, he pays for his keep and promises to pay for any additional expenses. Not only did this Samaritan feel compassion, Not only did he put his compassion into action with an act of mercy, understand it required sacrifice. Compassion put into action will often require sacrifice. I mean, it cost that Samaritan his own wine and oil. He had to put the man on his animal, so now he had to walk that that treacherous walk. It cost him money. He paid for the man's first night keep and then any additional expenses. But I think the greatest sacrifice is he had to interrupt his own agenda. The plans that he had for the day would no longer revolve around what he needed to do, but it would revolve around caring for this man. A man, if the tables had been turned, would have walked right on by. You see, mercy took precedent over the plans he had for the day. Mercy took precedent over his pocketbook, and mercy took precedent over his cultural prejudice. You know, it's interesting that Jesus tells this parable about compassion because a religious scholar wanted clarification about one of the great commandments, that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. You see, the religious scholar asked Jesus this question, If I'm to love my neighbor as myself, would you tell me who is my neighbor? In other words, he wanted Jesus to define who he had to love and who he didn't have to love. He wanted to have a reason to not love those who weren't like him or those he didn't deem worthy of his love. But after telling this parable, Jesus had a question of his own. Look at Luke 10. Verse 36 and 37, Jesus asked now the scholar, which of these three men do you think was a neighbor 
to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The scholar said, well, it's the one who had mercy on him. You see, the scholar's question was, who is to be my neighbor? Jesus' question was that in keeping this commandment, it isn't about who is a neighbor to you. It's about you being a neighbor to those in need. You see, the scholar wanted to disqualify people from being his neighbor, whereas Jesus said, there are no disqualifiers when I put in your path a person who is in need. You see, looking, loving our neighbor as ourselves means that when someone is in need, even if they don't look like us, even if they don't think like us, even if they don't act like us, that it's not just enough to see the need, to see the person, but loving our neighbor is putting compassion into action, even when it involves sacrifice, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's inconvenient, even when it puts us outside of our comfort zone. You know, we are blessed to be in a church where the leaders, the pastor and leaders of our church have made it a core mission to put our compassion into action. This is why we have one of the largest food pantries in Macomb County. This is why we have built a school in Cambodia as a safe haven for young girls from sex traffickers. This is why in Gunter, India, we've opened an orphanage and dug a water well. This is why in South Africa, we support Key of Hope for those children whose lives have been devastated by AIDS. This is why in Haiti, we support Kingdom Kingdom Kids um, Orphanage and why we built a pharmacy and continue to supply it for the Rima Medical Center in Bocasel, Haiti. And as we give to that mission fund, as we support these acts of mercy, we share corporately in these acts of compassion. But my message today is about challenging us to be moved by compassion at that personal level in our daily lives? Can we be moved to mercy? Can we put our compassion into action when it requires personal sacrifice, when it moves us outside of our comfort zone, when it requires a sacrifice of time and energy? Are we willing to interrupt our plans for the day to minister to someone who needs our help Are we willing to interact with someone who isn't like me, who doesn't look like me, who doesn't agree politically with me, maybe someone who hasn't even been nice to me, even when it's not convenient or comfortable, but the Lord puts them on the road where I'm walking? Do I have eyes to see those who may not be wounded physically but have been wounded by life's experiences, wounded in soul, wounded in their spirits. Can I, move, can I be moved to compassion, to take time out of my day when I see someone in need, to take them out for a cup of coffee and talk with them and pray with them? Can I, can I look at a young couple and see how they are overwhelmed and they just really need a date night, but they can't afford both the restaurant and the babysitter? Can I see that elderly couple in my neighborhood who needs a lawn cut or a single mom who needs a house repair 
Or maybe it's visiting an elderly person in a senior living community who never gets a visitor. Or maybe it's getting, like I did, involved in prison ministry or volunteering the food pantry or in a homeless shelter. I don't know what it's going to look like for you, but there will be someone that God puts on the road where you are walking and you will have a choice. You see, in the parable, we saw three men and three men, each one of them, they saw the man, but they had a choice to make. Would they allow that compassion to touch their hearts and move them into action? You know, Mike Susan sang the song, Lord, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so that I can see. Lord, give me your arms for the brokenhearted. Give me your, uh, give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Lord, give me your eyes so I can see. You see, that song is all about seeing with the eyes of Jesus, seeing with the eyes of that good Samaritan, eyes of compassion that don't just see someone on the side of the road, but are moved to compassion by action in our lives. You see, we want to be a people who show our love for one another by being moved to mercy. Shall we pray? Father, we are so grateful that you are a God of mercy and compassion, that you saw the need of humanity and the sinful state of mankind, and you were moved by compassion to the greatest act of mercy, sending your son to die for us. And now, Lord, we are opening up our hearts and our minds, asking you, Lord, to open up our eyes to see those who need compassion those that you put on the road where we are walking. Lord, give us a heart to act with compassion, to have wisdom and discernment, to recognize genuine need. Father, we ask that you would use us as your instruments to move, to be moved with compassion, Lord, to emulate what your son did for us on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.